0: We are back with part two of our two-part series, Invest in Thyself, okay? If y'all don't remember, you haven't listened to it, stop right now. Go listen, okay? But if you have, you're back. Love it. Thank you. In part one, we talked about investing in our relationships of all kinds, right? Friendships, romantic, platonic. And this time, we're going to talk about arguably your most important relationship with yourself. Today, we're going to talk about investing in ourselves, in our bodies, and our sexuality. Yes. Whether that's with someone, with ourselves, and some candles, or out in the world. All right. So, yes. This mic is on. You heard that right. We're talking that sex talk baby. All right. Am I sexual? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that? Thank you. Do you remember that Back to Boy song? Where one guy asked all, yes, asked all his guy friends and they responded without hesitation. <laughs> yeah. That is the type of healthy, open sexual dialogue we are going to be having today, all right? Yeah. So when we ask questions and y'all are listening, just say, yeah, just go with it, all right? (laughs) Because we're going to get a little spicy. It might get a little hot, all right? We might feel a little uncomfortable. But that's what we want to talk about because we actually haven't explored this on the podcast yet. And this isn't going to be my favorite show, BET Uncut, unfortunately. But we are going to talk about understanding pleasure for ourselves, normalizing sexuality and all the kinks that come with it. Because I think for so long, it's been taboo or talked about but prescribed for us as Black women. And so we really just want to get into that and make y'all feel comfortable. This is going to be a really great conversation. And then we'll have a special guest, Shan Bodrum. Yes, the sexologist from that podcast, Lovers and Friends. And she's going to be answering some listener questions, helping us define what a healthy sex life looks like so that we can be talking about this more between ourselves, with each other, in the mirror, with our friends, out at brunch, wherever. So let go. All right. First, I have to welcome my unbothered crew. Of course, Kathleen, how you doing in the 6?
1: I'm doing good. We're in the middle of the Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF as we call it, and I'm tired. I'm running around. I'm having fun, but I need I need a nap.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's very sexual. Good for you, Kathleen. All right. Keeping the vibes. <laughs> I threw it to you first because I thought you were going to do something with that. But you know what? Sometimes we're tired and we don't feel like being sexual. So that's oh my real, God. too. Mean, you, did
1: not keep, you did not throw that up to me. You did not lob did that not, up for me. Not at
0: all. But Kathleen, as we know, do you wanna, we, do do, not, can we do not do you pick want us up to do on my again? social cues. No, not at all. That was perfect. It was real. And again, if nothing else, in this sex conversation, we're going to be authentic. All right. Oh God, yes. Chelsea. <laughs> Maya, how you doing in New York? It's fashion week too. You know, the guys,
2: <laughs> that's how That's how I leave it. I was expecting, you know what? I need to come back outside when it's men's fashion week. Yeah, when it's like <laughs> men's season, that's why I need to be back outside because it's just giving kids right now. It's giving Instagrammable big jackets with little patches. It's giving, I'm going to be in front of the camera.
0: And I'm just like, what are niggas with the money? Okay, there we go. Okay, right on into it. Fair, all right? Maya said you want to turn her on, turn up that wallet. Fair enough. And then, please welcome someone who's not new to this, but true to this. And she is an Unbothered alum herself. If you've seen our Don't Yuck My Yum content, where she talks all about sexuality, you know we had to bring her on back because she stays in the Unbothered fam. Five Eva, all right? Please welcome Miss Courtney Pope. Oh, hi.
3: hi.
0: Hey. <laughs> I'm so How excited. How you doing?
4: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, don't yuck my yum was my baby while I'm bothered. So having this episode and being able to be a part is really, really great.
0: Yes. And Courtney will keep it spicy for y'all. So just, just get it, you know? Mm. Wow. I was about <laughs> to make a really inappropriate joke, but we still have to stay on the air. So I'm gonna keep it moving. <laughs> All right. So Courtney, if you don't, I can't I, that's this episode, energy. Just again,
1: get ready. You like you just gotta throw the vibes up more explicitly, Chelsea.
0: <laughs> no, it's, but it's like jazz, ba da da, you know, like it, otherwise it's not gonna be an the authentic reaction. Sexy? What? Yeah, it what? Can't be. why not? Like jazz. <laughs> jazz is very uh-huh. sexy sexy, but I meant like improvisation. Okay you know mm, like okay. call, catch and release call and response you know you never know <laughs> what's going to happen much like in bed with me hey. okay so Courtney you are They're new to the this air podcast air. yes <laughs>
3: air. We're that, that wasn't
0: right there. <laughs> that wasn't even <laughs> that book. wasn't even the spicy one see I'm glad I chose that one but, Courtney, I want to start with you. So, okay. what we do here at the season, we talk about our unpopular opinions that maybe shouldn't be so unpopular. So, mm-hmm. since we're talking about sex, sexuality, all the things, tell me, Courtney, what do you find sexy that others might not, unpopular opinion style?
4: Okay, so, this might be a little strange for some people, but I'm really into, like, the veins in a man's, like, hands or, like, arms, like, when they're popping out. Yeah, that's that's the juice. That's the juice right there. It just does something for me. It gets me going. It's like, ooh, testosterone. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just really it really and then after that I'm checking for the hair, the teeth, and the fingernails, if you know you know. hmm Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I know
2: (laughs) I'm concerned for your pH I'm concerned for your pH (laughs) I am concerned now
0: see it's not just me Kathleen doesn't she's not picking it up when
1: you throw it you know that's not just me
0: cranberry juice
1: (laughs) thank you I'm (laughs) the least sexy person on this podcast clearly Clearly. like fingernail I get it now Can
2: can I get another clue Yeah.
1: (laughs) Can I get a vowel, please? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, Kathleen, then what do you find sexy that maybe other people do not?
1: (laughs) Wow, clearly nothing. I, I, You know what? I actually find everyone attractive all the time. I just, if you follow me on the socials, you know that I'm thirsting after people all the time. I just interviewed the cast of The Woman King, and literally every single person in that cast can get it. But to me, it's just confidence. So it doesn't matter— What someone looks like, their gender, anything. It's just if you are really confident, that is sexy to me. And then I'm gonna agree with Courtney. Hands are a big thing on men, specifically for me. If you got nice hands, yeah. And then you know what? Now I get it. But my unpopular opinion, I think, is that I don't really think lingerie is that sexy. Like I get it from a fashion perspective. I don't really get it from like a sex logistic perspective. I'm Mm -hmm. just like. We would both rather be naked. Let's just let's just get naked, you know. Kathleen said, "Fuck
2: it, we ball." Yeah, <laughs>
3: <That> <laughs> <is> yeah, <Kathleen. laughs>
1: yeah. I'm
2: sorry, but Kathleen, it's like the lingerie is for me though, like it's just like any other piece of clothing I put on clothes not for other people I don't do my makeup for men, I don't put on a a bad outfit for men, I put on clothes for me, I put on lingerie for me so when I look sexy and I feel sexy I'm my best self, and I'm not so in my head, and I feel like a lot of times especially with women, when stuff doesn't go right in the bed, it's like, what did I do wrong if I'm wearing lingerie, it could never be me Mm. it could never be me I could never Mm. be the problem (laughs) I could never be the problem. I could literally, like, oh, I look bomb as fuck. So it's obviously you. You have a powwow with yourself and come back when you're done. Cause you see me? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it could never be me. Like, it's
0: not me, you know?
4: She's like, obviously, you bumped your head.
2: Obviously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's a good way. And that's fair. It's like all about a lot of what we're saying is like confidence in the way that you carry yourself. And I'm gonna go a little bit intellectual here, although I don't think that would surprise anyone, but I love someone with a good vocabulary. Like Ooh. hit me with an erudite or like a vivify with your loquacious ass. You know what I mean? Like talk to me about your thesaurus. Like, yeah. Do you
4: know what I mean? <laughs> no, <I'm laughs> <laughs> Literally turning myself months.
0: on right now.
1: <laughs> Talk to me about your thesaurus. <laughs> I'm so
0: serious. And if you can use a word that I don't know, I'm literally like, oh my gosh. Because so if- then it also puts them in a position to be like, oh, you can teach me something because I'm not really someone who you can like teach a lot. So if you can teach me something, oh yeah, yeah, girl. Awesome. Jesse, so where you? dirty text must text not be man's word of the day. I was gonna say these <laughs> <laughs> must, must I, not be man. man. That's Correct. Right. <laughs> this usually, this Let's be yeah. honest, because they're right. very dumb. But yeah, yeah. Hell, just like, the men with the mic just I, turned in. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've established our unpopular opinions, I want to zoom out a little bit because mm. I know we might already be starting to sweat and be thinking like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to talk about? But I actually want to talk about that discomfort. And I want to talk about. Do we feel comfortable talking about sex, like coming to the table and just having a conversation about sex, our sexuality, the things we like, the things we don't like? Let's start there. Court, I'm going to start with you.
4: I would say uh, now, for sure, I'm definitely in a better place to like talk about my journey. And I feel like because a lot of that came from me doing the work, as you will, within myself, it really started around the time of like, 29 going into 30 and I was really having these reflective moments about who am I as a woman and how do I want to show up at 30 in my womanhood and I really started to think about and realize that a lot of the things that were so much a part of my identity are these things actually me or are these things that have been placed on me based off of other people's expectations of how I should and shouldn't be you know I'm a young black girl from the south born and raised in the church close with my family like All these things and whether people know it consciously or subconsciously, a lot of the feedback I've gotten from friends, family, classmates and things that has had an impact on how I move throughout the world. And so at 30, I'm kind of over just being like viewed as like cutesy Courtney I'm 30 I'm about to be grown I want to understand for me what does sexy look like to me what does sensuality look like to me even the way I approach dating and wanting to do those things differently for myself and I kind of went on this exploratory <laughs> period of my life of just really trying to figure out all these different layers and how I wanted to show up for myself sensually sexually and for my partners in the bedroom
0: what a mature take but i think that's really key because when some of the things that you're saying of like okay i was raised a certain way and then had to really explore my own sensuality and my own sexuality outside of that right not what i was just told or you know what i felt like i had to be or what i felt like i had to present whether it was cute or specifically like southern right but then getting the chance to say no wait let me stop for a second I'm about to be grown grown and figure out what I actually like and how I want to be presenting myself and how I want to explore my own sexuality with myself and with a partner. And I think a lot of us can probably relate to that. Like I have always said, like, if I didn't have a family and that was very out here and we weren't very close, I'd be out on real world. I will be out on like love and hip hop. I would be acting a fool. Like I just would. I still do. But I just am not as open about it necessarily as I maybe might be or even than I was two to five years ago. And I feel like getting the space to explore that is really powerful. And it's something that comes at different times for different people. I would say for me,
2: when we were younger, well, when I was younger, I'm going to only try. I don't know why we said we, maybe because I have 15 personalities, but I digress. (laughs) You see? You see what I'm talking about? Crazy as hell. We didn't really talk about sex that much. I mean, I went to sex ed class. I was just told, I obviously knew that's where babies come from, but I was just told, don't have sex in my house. And then that was just it. And I think it was because of my mom and her sister. She was like, just don't have sex in my house or it's up for you. I think I just recently became more comfortable because some old situations popped up that I don't have the healthiest relationship with sex. And I think it's because I haven't felt safe with my partners. And I know people are like, well, how do you have sex with somebody and you don't necessarily feel safe? Well, you feel safe in the outside world when you get into the most vulnerable space ever. It's like up. I didn't think I would Mm -hmm. feel like this now Mm -hmm. that we're here. I feel this way and it's not, it's not feeling too, too safe for me. So Mm -hmm. just having those conversations before the bedroom, just to be like, okay, this is where my head's at. If I react like this, how do we move forward? Do we stop? Do we work through it? Like, what is the move? And not being afraid to honestly talk about it, because I feel like that's a big thing. Even when you are an adult and having sex, having conversations about sex outside the bedroom is not a common thing. So, like, yeah. it's still a kind of a closed mouth thing.
4: And I think you hit on, like, two very important points. The first one being a lot of times us as Black women, we're in these spaces where our mothers can only really give us what was given to them. And if it wasn't much, we're kind of left with the short end of the stick. And then I think the other part that you were talking about, just about really needing to find someone to feel safe with, I think that's the, like, key to, like, safe And just healthy sexual relationships is being able to find that partner where when you're having those moments where you kind of go somewhere else and you're maybe like disassociating that they're able to recognize that, check in with you, take that pause. And, you know, if y'all need to take a break, you take a break in the moments done with and they're cool with it and allowing you that space to kind of like figure that out. And then if you want to pick things up again, they're also down with that as well. That just openness to just be whatever it is that you need for them to be in that moment.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Courtney, you touched on so many important things, but I just have to say before I get into mine is that when we had our production meeting about this topic, I was like sweating. I was like, I am uncomfortable. If you have not picked that up already in this podcast. Yeah. So in general, like I'm just not super comfortable talking about sex. And I think that that goes, we're talking about our childhoods. We're talking about how we were raised. And I think that that goes back to me growing up in a very religious household. My parents mm. were very Christian. And I think the only thing when you grow up in a super religious household that you feel about sex is guilt and shame. Mm. And so I think that now that I'm, I am married, I've been in this relationship for a very long time, as you all know, and I feel very safe. Maya talked about safety. Courtney just talked about it. And I think that actually just said on this podcast that my husband is not my best friend, <laughs> but I actually <laughs> think that he is my best sex friend. Aside from us being monogamous, we really, really have a friendship around sex. We talk about it so openly in those moments. Like Courtney was saying, if there's any like hesitation, he'll pick up on a vibe and stop immediately. Like we get each other in that sense. And I think it's because we've been together for a really long time and I didn't have a lot of partners before him. We've been together since I was very young. I'm so young. And so we had to grow and figure that stuff out together. And I just can't imagine being as like comfortable and vulnerable and not shameful at all with anybody else. And then I also think I have a really good sex relationship with myself, which was also a lot of unpacking and unlearning from childhood to figure (laughs) that out. Oh yeah, and that allows me because I know what I like and I know what it takes to get me places. I'm able to like talk to my husband about stuff and be like, yeah. In the beginning, I was faking it because everybody does in the beginning. Come on, uh, everybody mm-hmm. does, and Come so we, on. we've talked about that.
2: Everybody <laughs> was like, right, guys,
0: performance. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, oh, sorry. I it's was nodding. No, okay? I
1: was nodding.
0: I was nodding. Because <laughs> was like, Great guys. Come on. You really no are. This sorry. is why I
1: don't talk about sex.
0: <laughs> no, but I think that's important though. And I think it's it's really important <laughs> that you talk about the things that help you feel more comfortable with sex, whether it's exploring your own body first. And then that way you can be like, I like it when you do this, or I don't like when you do that. Right. Because it does for women, like literally biologically, It takes different things to turn us on and to get us there and to be in a place where we feel pleasure. And even if that doesn't, like, crest into something, that doesn't mean we're not having a good time either, right? So it's, like, understanding the different levels of that and understanding what that means and being able to communicate that with your partner. And I think, Kathleen, for you, you've been in a long-term relationship. So probably naturally that's been an evolution in that you've been able to, like, talk about that, right, and been able to, like, sort of unpack that probably but I think it may be like different for different people. Like I, it depends. Like I can really be compatible with someone sexually like in a casual situation. Yeah, (laughs) I think it also depends like you can be in a long term relationship or a marriage and not be sexually compatible or not be in a place where sex is one of your priorities or sex is the thing that is something that's important to you. And so I think when we talk about relationships and the differences between them, it's also important to talk about sex and sexuality and our sensuality as a factor in our Mm -hmm. relationships. Right. And like how much of a factor sex is in our relationships, because it seems like we all of like bearing degrees of sexuality that we're comfortable talking about, but hopefully in a relationship you're able to open up that conversation a little bit more. And I think for me, I didn't lose my virginity till I was like 20 years old. So I wasn't like a hypersexual teenager, but like I would consider myself as someone who has a very high sex drive now. But that was because I was able to explore that with myself, partners who like I felt good with. And then it took me a while to your point, Courtney, to be like, okay. It's okay that sex is a priority for me. I don't have to feel ashamed about that. But that took me a while to get there and to feel like my own sensuality was not a burden on someone else or like a burden on myself. It took a minute to be like, what makes Chelsea happy though? Okay. And if one of those answers is sex in a dynamic, that's okay. That's natural. That's cool. And I think it took me a while to get there and to understand that for me, for me, one of those things that I needed in a dynamic or with myself was sexuality and was, like, sex. And I think, like, that's something that we don't talk about enough is, like, how much of a priority is sex in your relationship? And is it okay if that shifts as you grow, either with yourself or with a partner? Yeah. Because at Hopefully. this point, I refuse to live without pleasure. <laughs> Come
1: on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I I mean, I also... Was a virgin for a long time. I lost my virginity at 21. And I do feel like women and Black women specifically need to hear everything you just said, Chelsea, more. And we need to talk about it more because for so long, I think we've been okay with not prioritizing our pleasure. And I think, as you mentioned, it's because of like mechanically how things work for women. You know, our pleasure is more work. And it makes it easier to just be like, oh, no, no, don't don't worry about me. Like, it's not about me. I'll I'll just do you. And like, we've also been conditioned to not be difficult and mm-hmm. to be selfless and to not make everything about us. So that obviously trickles down into the bedroom. And I think it's a, in a place where if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel confident, you're going to default to the easier thing. And sometimes the easier thing is, oh, no, no, no. My pleasure isn't important. Yours is. Ooh,
4: baby, listen, you said a whole mouthful right there. I 100% agree with that, like hands down, 10 toes down, all of that. But I think it's also goes back to like what we learn early on. And I think sometimes we pick up those behaviors by the ways in which we observe, like our moms or other women in our lives who like deprioritize themselves and their relationships. And you kind of start to learn those behaviors of like, Oh, no, it's fine. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's cool. When it's not cool, it's actually not fine. You are frustrated. Um, and, you know, finding a place now, you know, in your, like, a womanhood to find your voice and take a stance and say, like, mm, actually, that wasn't that great for me. You know, it takes a lot.
2: Mm. you loud. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're you really loud. And I need you to just turn down the volume on your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> these are conversations I'm having with myself I feel like when you really like somebody no matter how tough you mm-hmm. are those boundaries like really fall down and what I'm realizing now is when people kind of I don't want to say admit or because I don't want it to sound bad but be like oh I'm sorry about this I'm sorry about that I stopped myself from saying it's okay because it's not okay mm-hmm. it's like oh you know I'm sorry that you weren't pleased. Yeah, let's talk about it. Not it's okay. Because it wasn't okay. Like we were both here. Why is only one of us happy? I don't like that. Okay, you're apologizing. How can we fix it? Because I think the it's okay is just kind of pacifying the situation. And for sure, the fact of the matter is it's not going to change if you keep telling people things that they do are okay when they're actually not. So
4: yeah, for sure. And sometimes it's really, really like not okay. And I think, Just in my personal experiences, I'm definitely way more vocal now than probably when I was first early on, like starting to have sex. I lost my virginity at like a later age too. I think I was like 20 or so when I lost it. And so, I mean, if we're really going to go there, (laughs) uh, trigger warning for anyone out there. I think probably the biggest experience for me that stands out the most about having to be vocal and why I'm so vocal now is because I found myself... Years ago, in a situation where I was dating this guy, we had a great, loving relationship. And then somewhere along the lines, we became long distance and we're both grown. So we talked about those type of things as as a part of what we were willing to do when we were apart. I was very clear about a lot of my boundaries that were like hard limits for me. And he was like, cool, yep, we're on board. But then fast forward to like a few months in, we were having just a casual conversation. And in the midst of that, he let it slip. And I found out that he actually had filmed us during some of our intimate moments. And uh, that was really tough. That was a very tough pill to swallow. He shared the, I had to remain calm in that moment. Kind of like in that moment like, it's fine. I didn't say mm. it's fine, but I but I had to remain calm in order to get what it was that I needed because I needed to understand like the level of the videos. And so right, he right. sent them to me and I reviewed them and they were awful. <laughs> they were absolutely mm. awful. And I think the part that kind of hurt me the most is there was one video in particular where I remember that moment and feeling like something was off, and him reassuring me that everything was fine, and then seeing it kind of like play back from a different POV, like literally mm. in real time, kicking myself that I didn't, that I didn't, you know, stop right in the there when I felt something went with my gut. I didn't trust myself in that moment, and you know, from that I found out that he had also been filming me while I was sleeping the nude, like just very no, not no, okay no. behavior. No. You're going to
2: jail. Oh, yeah.
4: (laughs) And I think it took a a minute for me to like be in an okay place to be intimate with anyone. And so then I think a lot of my journey after that with partners and through my exploration was really more so about me like reclaiming agency over my Mm -hmm. body because Mm -hmm. I was in a moment where I was very vulnerable and which somebody else had made a choice for me about my body and what I was and wasn't comfortable with especially after I had been abundantly clear about what my hard limits were and you still just disregarded those things. Mm. And this was somebody that I cared about, that I loved, that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. So it blindsided me.
0: No, absolutely. And I'm so sorry that that is something that you went through and that was your experience. I'm really glad to hear that you were able to rebuild that trust with yourself and with others, but... It should never, that should never ever be a situation that you are in, that any of us are in. Because I think always, always when we have these conversations, consent is Mm -hmm. the headline. Like Mm -hmm. always, always do only what you feel comfortable with. And when you are not, you can express that. And that is it, point blank, period. Because that is never okay. And I think one of the things that we also know is that like, it affects you in other ways that people don't realize, right? Like down the line that you have to be like, okay, this person is not that person, right? Or like to be able to sort of like really work through that traumatic experience and be able to then put yourself back out there. So I'm really sorry, Courtney. And thank you for sharing that because I feel like a lot of times, again, when we talk about these things, like it's filled with shame, right? And it feels like, oh, like this is on me for some reason, you know, or feeling like you said that you had to like be calm in the moment, like, No, this is on this person, and that is them and their, like, sickness that, like, literally turn around and never speak to me again. Or, as Maya said, jail, because it's ridiculous. So (laughs) I think it's important for everyone to hear that and to know that, like, those are experiences that a lot of women have had, if not the same, then similar feelings of feeling violated. And I feel like the other piece of that is that, like, when there is consent, (sighs) so much— dope shit can happen. Like yes. when there is consent and there's communication and y'all feel really comfortable with each other, you can do so many fun things. And yeah. I feel like a lot of, and this is probably like more in my experience, like straight men, i felt like don't think that straight women or women in general are like sexual beings or as sexual mm-hmm. and aren't interested in exploring their sexuality. And it's like, no, we are. You just haven't asked. Like you literally <laughs> haven't asked. Because when you ask, you might receive,
4: you know? Come on, come on. Because, like, the thing that they fail to realize is if you genuinely create a safe space for me, clear about what it is that we're doing, what we are, create that safe space, baby, whore, immediately. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> Slut me out. <laughs> you know, the switch flips when you create that safe space. But we have to have that conversation, that consent. You have to be willing to do the work.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just had an ick thought, guys. I know. I'm sorry. I know Ricky King. I just had an ick thought. Oh, I was no. just thinking. No, I'm no. I'm just thinking. Well, like if it's it's not just like a one. This is not like a, a isolate incident. Not to just say your incident wasn't important or significant and it doesn't hold mm-hmm. weight. Something similar happened to me, and I caught him before he started. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself. I'm thinking like, what if they don't want the consent? Like, what if the mm-hmm. pleasure is in the betrayal like what if the pleasure is in the domination like what if the pleasure is actually in the pain that they cause on other people and that's why i said it was an ick thought because like thinking that somebody would gain pleasure out of intentionally hurting somebody or doing something so conniving to people and i know it's hard to think that way because you would think who would like who would do that like who would think in those disgusting type of ways but if it's not it's For women right now on this podcast, half of us have had similar experiences. 50%? Come on now. Yeah. You find pleasure in doing weird stuff.
4: I can't find... I can't speak for the ones who have the ill intent, but for the ones who don't know how to go about certain things, there is such thing as consensual non-consent. It is a thing. You should Mm. for sure do your research and work your shit out.
0: Yeah, and and understanding, do your research, do your googles, and then and like unlearn the things that you've learned in media and like the mm-hmm. things that you've learned like out in the world, right? Because I feel like that's the other thing is like, oh no, like when a girl says no, it's actually she means yet yeah, no, 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 like. <laughs> No. And I feel like that's like something that, again, we've been like conditioned to think and like conditioned for women as a way to act, right? Like demure and like shy and like not aggressive because that has been the way that we've been told that we need to act in sexual situations and men need to act a certain way aggressive in order to get a woman. Yeah. And I feel like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and I'm not speaking for, all oh men. oh my God. But like certain men and like perhaps some women, equate sex with power they they yeah. just do and i think that that like power dynamic is something that like you have to untangle for yourself and then recognize in the other person like all right, do you want to be with me because you enjoy me and you enjoy my body and we enjoy this? Or do you just enjoy the power that you get to exert over my body, right? Mm. And that, I think, is a really key distinction because some people don't know the difference and either haven't educated themselves or don't want to, to your point, Maya. But, like, those are the people that we are, like, absolutely staying away from and, like, not even considering. What happened to stopping people out? I just want to bring back bring back jumping people
2: <laughs> Bring back
1: jumping.
2: Bring back jumping. people don't want to go to jail. <laughs> bring back jumping. Yeah. Ooh, wow. What <laughs>
1: but then also, like speaking of safety, I don't know. I don't know, y'all, if that's a that's the best idea. But yeah, bring back somebody else jumping for me because I can't fight them for the <laughs> Oh, yeah. Of the oh, something. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, Maya, you want to pick a fight for me? Go right ahead. Um, Maya, I feel like Yeah, I mean,
4: the curb stomp somebody. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Chelsea mentioned this, but I, I like I always go back to pop culture, and I think that you know a lot of it is learned, especially when it comes to consent, and especially when mm. your parents don't talk about it. Where do you learn it from? You know, you yeah. learn it from the media that you consume, and it's not an excuse for any behavior, but it is an explanation. And I think that when you think of like the movies where the joke is, oh, just the tip, baby, I'm just gonna put the tip in. Like mm. we all grew up with that. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where, as Chelsea said, like boys, straight men think that it's a negotiation, that the negotiation starts at no, uh-huh. that no is not an answer. It is just when they start. Now we start the game. Oh, she's just saying no because, yeah, she's trying to be demure or whatever it is. And she's just trying to be playful. And I think that, yeah, the consent conversation is no is a full sentence. Period. Come on.
0: Yeah, no, and because I feel like a hard part of this again is knows a full sentence and like communication is hard. I get it, and it can feel embarrassing and it can feel new and like awkward, especially if you didn't talk about sex in your home or your introduction to sex was TV shows and whatever your friends were talking about on Saturday night, right? It can be, but like there is no alternative. So have the awkward conversation because I think, again, you never, you never. No, because I feel like the other thing is that we are very, very specifically like trying to all look normal and all look like we're not into whatever we're into. And now everything is super vanilla and that. But like, where's the fun in that? And also, that's not true. And that's how politicians end up resigning like six months in because. I don't know, they're wearing diapers with prostitutes. I don't know, but it does. I'm just saying, I don't know the recipe. I'm just saying that when we really like inhibit ourselves, it comes out in some other way you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when we inhibit our own sexual expression, we're actually doing a disservice to ourselves and to our partners. And so I want to jump into this conversation of sexual expression a little bit more because I feel like as we've been talking about this, we've unraveled a few things about ourselves, right? Whether they're positive or hard to deal with or fun or awkward about how we express ourselves. And I know for the longest time, I'm pretty open talking about sex, like with my friends, not really with my family. Let's put a pin in that. But um, I, I just talk too much anyways. They don't need to hear all of that. It's says, um, and they're all married. So then they just get jealous. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying sometimes married people get jealous of my single like button and pop in life. That's all, you know, um, or they're very judgmental. It's one or the other. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. feel like. I am very open about it, and I tell people about, like, my escapades, whatever they may be, sensual, like, sexual, romantic, you know, whatever, on purpose. Because, one, I'm a Libra, and I, like, flirt with anyone, everyone. I think every interaction I have is, like, the introduction to a porn movie, like, potentially, every single conversation I have. Literally. So I feel like when I talk about sex or when I talk about my sensuality, like I'm giving other people permission to do the same. And so I want to talk to y'all about like, how do you deal with your own sexuality out in the world? Do you talk about it? Like, do you read? Do you want, like, what are we, what are, how do you really express your sexuality out in the world? Or do you?
1: Well, as someone who's been on the receiving end of some of the stories of your escapades, I will say, first of all, highly entertaining. I am married, but never jealous and never judgmental. But um, I yeah, I do think you kind of give. Yeah, you give the person permission to to share about their own stuff. But I do think that I am still pretty reticent of talking about my own sex life, even though I'm a very horny person. And again, if you follow me, you know that I read a lot of erotica. I watch a lot of romance. I'm always being like, there needs to be more kissing. Where did all the sex scenes in movies go? Where are the erotic thrillers? Like, that is my whole thing. I'm always talking about, like, sex on screen. But then when it comes to talking about me, like, actually having sex, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, wait a (laughs) minute. Now that's too (laughs) that's (laughs) too much. We're going too far. I, I, I don't really know what the difference is there. I think maybe because i have married and have been in this relationship for 11 years, I, for the first time, start thinking about, you know, how what I say will impact him. Because <laughs> I never think about that on this podcast. But I think that when it comes <laughs> to sex, I'm like, you know, maybe I shouldn't say too much because this is his sex life as well. Um, And I think if I'm psychoanalyzing myself, for so long, my relationship with sex was in books. You know, I was stealing my godmother's, like, romance novels with, like, Fabio on the cover. And, like, it was really, like, just me and myself in this book. And it was a really, like, isolated thing for me. And it made it that sex really separate from the sex that I had with a partner.
4: Mm-hmm. Chad, not Fabio. <laughs> my, my auntie, she was reading Zayn, baby. Yes. <laughs> and then so was I when she left the house. Sorry, auntie. Always. <laughs> no, I think for me, I talk to my friends about everything. I think I have a really strong group where we don't have to necessarily like preface. It with a, hey, don't judge me, blah, blah, blah. But I will say for sure, for sure, I have one best friend in particular where we kind of both went through this discovery journey around the same time. So we would get together and like compare notes, especially when we both started like dabbling in BDSM and found doms to interact with, like all the things. So she's like for sure one of
0: my go-to go-tos, no holes bar, like girlfriends for sure. OK, great. So you just drop that in there. But just so you know, the rest of this podcast is going to be about BDSM. So, Courtney, um, <laughs> <laughs> can you explain for the audience what BDSM is and how you sort of got into that lifestyle and how you sort of started to feel comfortable with it? Sure. I mean, let me just preface this by saying I am
4: by no means like a BDSM expert. I am simply a student of the arts, <laughs> I will say. But for folks who don't know, like BDSM is Basically just a sex term for a practice that involves like bondage, discipline, dominance, mission, and sadism. So you have your doms and your submissives, you have your sadists and your masochists, that kind of thing. And then everyone in between, it's really about like your kink and your preferences as far as like where you fall on that spectrum.
0: Mm. And how did you figure out where you fell on that spectrum?
4: I feel like before I could like identify it as BDSM, I already had an inkling of like the things that I was into I'm just by, you know, when I started being active with partners, the things that I liked uh, during vanilla sex, which is like more conventional sex, you know, I did like being spanked. I liked being choked. And typically I wanted to like go further with that, but I didn't know what further meant. And I didn't know how to communicate that at the time. And so you read your erotica, you kind of like start piecing the clues together. And then as I was on this like journey that I talked about, where I was exploring my sensuality i was like you know i've kind of dabbled in things here and there when it comes to my dating but i've never focused my full attention on the thing that i actually want when it comes to my sexuality and my sensuality and the sex that i'm having with partners let's figure this out <laughs> and so i just started um i did research a little bit and i was kind of trying to figure out like Where do people go when they're looking for that? There's obviously like tons and tons of apps. Um, I am very much like a brand and aesthetics kind of girl. So if your like if your website or your app looked whack, cheesy, or sketch, I was like no. (laughs) But I actually found an app called Field, and I kind of was like, okay, maybe this could be legit because I think it was I think like Cosmo or somebody had written an article, and I was like, okay. Maybe this could be a thing. And then I downloaded it. It was giving very cute, like, Bumble, but for kink. And I was like, all right, (laughs) this is giving cute. Let me go ahead and download this thing. And then I just started, like, dabbling from there.
0: Okay, now just spell that for the people. uh, Oh, yes, that's uh, uh, F-E-E-L-D. The people. Okay, Yeah, the people. Chelsea, Uh, you're
1: asking for a (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) So how did you then go about, you know, finding a dom and like what was that relationship sort of like did you test a few out test drive like how did we how did we sort of get into that then that relationship
4: yeah so that i mean the app is set up exactly like bumble so everybody has like a bio and everything like that you can go through their pictures you can list like the things that you're into the things that you're also then looking to explore um and that sort of thing and so you kind of just have to like keep swiping. And I was swiping through and kind of like, as I was reading people's bios, I was being introduced to like other terminology. I would kind of like Google it on the side, be like, "Hmm, do I like that? Okay. Let's add that to the list of interests. Next candidate type of thing. And you kind of start to kind of weed it out and understand like the various degrees of doms. So you have like your hard doms and your soft doms as well. I know myself, I'm very like, talk to me nice. So I don't necessarily want to, I don't think a me and a hard dom would necessarily mesh just because, you know, a hard dom is definitely more so leaning into, like, degradation, humiliation. Like, they want their sub to, like, revolve around them and exist for them, whereas like a soft dom in what I've learned is definitely more so like affectionate guidance. They're more focused and pleasured a lot of the times. And so the dom that I did stumble upon who kind of like helped to open me up and like explore these things, he's a pleasure dom like slash soft dom type of thing. And it was really a lot of like communication. Like I think we talked maybe four or five months before we even like met. And a lot of that was just about answering questions, understanding boundaries. He answered all of my, like 50 million in one questions, and then some, and I still ask some to this day. Um, <laughs> and just really helping me to like understand.
1: Well, I have a question, Courtney. Okay. Um <laughs> Do you have white DOMs? I don't.
4: No, uh, the dom that I dealt with is black, uh, <laughs> but I. it's not to say that I wasn't approached in the app by white doms, and the thing is, it's like, listen, if that's what you like, that's what you like, I can appreciate a white man, I know when I see one, that's fine, I'm like, yeah, but like, when it comes to BDSM, I can't let no white man beat me, like, my mm-hmm. ancestors will be like, get up, get up, <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: yes, so, so. stand up, stand okay. <laughs> I can't so- do it, I can't. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Everyone knows my husband is white. I've mentioned that on this podcast before. But and, he ain't whooping your uh, ass. No, exactly. I like truly. This is what you I'm don't saying. Know. You don't know. I think that I, if our relationship was like a dom sub relationship, that would make mm-hmm. me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Very, Very. Now I have uncomfortable. had white
4: men ask me to like step on their balls. they I've had white men yeah. like ask me okay. to like spank them, choke them, like the whole thing, they wanted to like worship my feet, like all that. Now that kind of was like, hmm, reparations? Like yeah, immediately yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. yeah
1: uh-huh. I'm Maybe. Say if there's any if there's any Dom in my relationship, it's me. And take that with what you will. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. like um, yeah.
1: yeah, I do I think it's I think it's tough. I mean Yeah, I think it's <laughs> tough. It's honestly race is not something I think about in my bedroom really ever. Yeah. True mm. truly. Like it's not something I think about while we're having sex. I think if it did, yeah. I couldn't be in a, this relationship. But I think if it was a, like, physical dominant, like, that kind of thing, that, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd be, I'd just feel uncomfortable.
4: You'd be like, you was a little too hard with that last lashing.
1: Mm. <laughs> no! Oh, hi, Courtney. <laughs> <Damn>.
3: <laughs>
1: Has anyone seen Slave Fight? Anyway, No, yeah, this is, <laughs> you just... Ah, we're
0: having technical difficulties we will be back online shortly (laughs) this is literally slave yeah play if you guys haven't seen it it's it's interesting but there's a there's a lot in that but I, i will say race has been a factor in uh like some of my relationships and it's like it's been a hard stop um, mm-hmm. so I can understand how that would be a, a consideration either like for or against to like make that work but I also think that like yeah it, there's just there's mm-hmm. a lot there there's a mm-hmm. lot there there's a lot there I'm gonna like sleep on this
2: Girl, I'm like a white woman <laughs> in an elevator with a purse with a black man if a white man <laughs> trying
0: to touch me <laughs> <laughs> He's like I didn't, I didn't even, even watch you yet He's like <laughs> I I I sabotaged oh <laughs> the purse He's like oh okay. oh you know yeah. I think now I am hot right now I feel like we have really okay, really explored a lot like, you know <laughs> like we have explored a, a lot but I feel like that's That's also the important part of like being able to, Courtney, like explore it, be open with it. And I think like, you know, being open to exploring some things, whether they're kinks or things with yourself or like toys or, you know, understanding what you like and what you want. And then being able to be confident enough in that to go out into the world and ask for it and say no to the things that you don't want is really important. But again, I feel like. At this point in my life, pleasure is the priority. And I I hope that is what is the case for you all as well. If that's, you know, that's my wish for you, that you are prioritizing your pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good. (laughs) Kathleen, Maya, yes.
1: Oh, yes. Big P. Yes. Big P. Listen, I, again, if you've heard me talk about my relationship at all, you know how this works. My pleasure is prioritized. I promise.
0: (laughs) Okay, we have reached my favorite part of the episode. Yes, my dears, the don't at me. The don't at me is the part of the discussion we use to tie a bow on our conversation, give you all some food for thought, and some energy, some sexual energy to move about your day with. And in case the title wasn't clear, you cannot at us, all right? Nothing. Nunca. Non. nine, No. Heart emoji. And for this one... We're gonna pass it on over to the pleasure pope herself, all right, Miss <laughs> Courtney. All right, yeah. come on, give us that. Don't at me. I just gave don't you a new number, okay? Right
4: there. Just okay. Pope. Come on. <clears throat> so, first and foremost, to my femme identifying folks, I want you to first believe and understand in the power of the V. That is most important because ain't shit popping if she says it's stopping, okay? period. Now for my guys, gals, and they, them pals, understand that pleasure is so much more than an orgasm. Secondly, for the fellas specifically, and I really want you to understand me and hear me when I say this, two minutes of making out does not qualify as foreplay. When you go to the grocery store, you're not eating them groceries right out the can or the jar. It takes prep work, okay? You got to heat that shit up. The same goes for sex, and intimacy and lastly like the title of the podcast says before you can invest in anyone else please invest in thine truly the level of access to information workshops gadgets groups are astronomical so there really is no excuse they are selling sex toys at amazon and now even at target so like get your coins together do what you need to do because some of them are for the low low so there really is no excuse and I close all this to say, I said what I said. I hope you heard me clearly. And if you're a good little sub, don't at me. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, <sorry>. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Not me being like, okay. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Season 5 of the Go Off Sis Podcast, brought to you by Target, our partner this summer as we celebrate Black joy. This season, we've been reminding you what it means to be that girl, and you know we're not about to stop now. So whether you're in class, the boardroom, or working remotely beachside, I see you, friends. Target has everything you'll need for a summer full of Black joy. To learn more about how Target is investing in our community, head over to Target.com/slash beyond Measure. Okay, y'all. Today on this show, we have the sexologist, lovers and friends, podcast host, intimacy expert, and best-selling author new mama, all right, doing double duty, triple duty, breaking the interwebs with her amazing content and open conversations about sex, sexuality, sensuality, and what it all means. We're talking Dr. Ruth meets Rihanna, all right, fresh cuts, fresh styles, fresh opinions, factual advice because all facts on this podcast always and I think I'm just really excited to have this conversation so I'm gonna stop with the intro let's get on into it okay welcome Shan Booty aka Shan Booty. Pop it out the
3: cake Okay. (laughs) okay first of all was fresh cuts fresh style for me or was that your guys tagline that you just lent to me? Oh, no, no, no. I just made that was
0: off the top of the I've dome never, for you.
3: Listen, I've <laughs> never been referred to as somebody who's a fresh cut. So oh, my gosh. I love lot. your hair,
0: though. Whenever <laughs> you have like a like whenever I watch your videos of your podcast, I'm always like, ah, oh, I want that fresh cut. Yes. Fresh styles.
3: Oh, thank you. I'm listen. I'm really like at Maya's feet right now for the perfection oh, yeah. <laughs> that is the shape. Everybody knows you can fluff to that status. But the second you move your hair a second or anything, it's going to go misshapen. But see, look at you—it fell right back into place. So that's really—that's yes.
0: aspirational. Oh, it's every time. It, it's it's Maya all day. Also, it was like a play on words because it was like podcast cut. You know, <laughs> there's a lot going no, it on there. It. it was Thank very you. poetic. It was Thank very you. flowetic. Thank you. I very ooh, much enjoyed it. Thank you. We'll take it. Yes. Okay, Shan. So let's jump right on in because this episode is all about sex and sexuality. It's part two of an episode we're calling "Invest in Thyself," right? And we're talking about as talk what it means to invest in yourself and invest in your sexuality and your sensuality. And one of the first things that we asked each other was, when did you or do you start to feel comfortable talking about sex? And I think for you as someone who has made that a profession and a career, I would love to hear from you about when you started to feel comfortable talking about sex and then really decided, hey, like this is my passion and this is something that I want to lend to other people as well.
3: I think by and large, I came into this space just because I needed someone like me, uh, which is the most selfish response ever. But in essence, I was like, man, I wish that there was someone who I felt was approachable, who was relatable, who could make sex education sexy and accessible. Um, And I suffered because I couldn't find someone like that, you know, especially coming from a Caribbean household. There's a lot of people who look like me not a lot of people who wanted to tell me or talk about this subject. So that's the advantage the that I came at it years and years ago. And now 15 years later, I think that's exactly what my mission is to this day. Like, how do I make sex education sexy? Which is the stupidest sentence because we all know that sex sells, but for some reason, sex ed and intimacy education overall does not. If anything, that repels. So I'm here to bridge the gap and it's crazy how much progress I've seen, you know, in the time that I've I've been in this space. And obviously a lot of that, has to do with just generations and times, but I'm really grateful to be a part of that story unfolding.
0: Yeah, and you are. And I feel like as someone who is so open with that, we talked about this a little bit in our conversation earlier too, but you're giving permission for other people to do the same. And it sounds like that was something that, was at the root of this, um, but I also want to go back because you mentioned that you grew up in a Caribbean household, and that the gulf between you know maybe where you are now and where you were when you were growing up is was probably pretty big in terms of getting over those stigmas or getting over the challenges of talking about sex. Can you talk about how you were sort of able to do that and some of those stigmas that you had to sort of let go of?
3: yeah, I am naturally if you're a subscriber to the Big five personality assessment, which is like a psychological Um, way of describing how different people interact and show up in the world. And so on the big five personality assessment, some people are agreeable and some people are disagreeable. Agreeable people are like, how do we have the easiest time? Disagreeable people are like, how do I make things difficult? Um, Not like (laughs) verbatim, but in essence, they're inventors. They're always like, how do we do something different? If you say pizza, maybe I'm like, okay, well, what about sushi instead? So My brain naturally is a contrarian. So I feel like that set me up for success because my culture definitely, although like Caribbean culture is very sexual and can be very celebratory in the sexual stance when it comes to talking about sex, um, talking about healthy sex, talking about positive sex, acknowledging that younger people have these feelings. It's definitely not open like that. And as a result, um, I was really sexual really early on, and that was not encouraged in my household a lot. My Barbies were banned from being naked by the time I was like seven years old. I was like often really called lewd. Like that was, I have an episode of my podcast that's called uh, Humping Pillows and Naked Barbies. It really talks about like my early sexual years. And being sexual young, people look at it as something negative, And it was actually something really positive for me. And when I think back on that, I'm like, that's actually the version of myself that I'm constantly trying to reclaim, the version of me whether it you know, had to do with genitals or just even celebration of body, the version of me that knew that intimacy and being close with yourself and being close with others and celebrating your body, and enjoying your own body, obviously within the realm of the law and also other people's comfort is not a negative thing. Um, but culturally, it was often like rammed in my throat that it was negative. And in addition, I went to a Catholic school, which is like, not only is it negative, but you're going to hell. So I often look at, my work as not trying to become, but instead trying to reclaim that young version of myself that was untainted and just knew that this was a joyful, natural part of life that if I had control of and I felt good about um, and people around me were uplifting that truth, it could actually be really positively impactful.
4: Mm, mm, I love that. And I love that you delved into talking a bit more about your culture and a lot of the contrast that comes with that with like the celebratory side of sex and then also being like, but you're going to hell like that kind of thing. And how there's like celebratory, there's positive sexuality. So my question for you is how was positive sexuality introduced to you? Was that something that you found yourself solo or was that through a partner? Definitely
3: not through a partner. Um, <laughs> I mean, not at the time because I started uh, my journey as a sex educator at nineteen. So, and then some people do have the experience of dating somebody much older. That was not my experience. I had my experience was the exact opposite, where I had negative experience after negative experience. By the time I think I was like 17, 19 or somewhere in that realm, I had like seven sexual partners, zero orgasms. I had never been loved before. I had lost love for myself. I had, you know caught a sexually transmitted infection. I had a non-consensual experience, like check, check, check for all the negative things. And so it was actually that of like, I knew that this was good really early on. Like I claimed as something positive myself Then the world said it was negative. And then my experiences affirmed it was negative. So I was like, either one of two things is happening right now. Either the world is right and I had the wrong idea or I was right, but I have the wrong information and the wrong tools about actually Celebrating myself or enacting this part of myself. And that's when I went to a library at 19 or so, and I read every factual book about sex. And it was through that facts and information and science and data that's where I found my empowerment. That's where I found my truth. That's where I found hope. So I was like, okay, cool. This is amazing information. This has changed my life. How do I make this life changing information actually? interesting and engaging for other people who might not go this route, but definitely need this illumination.
4: Mm. I I mean, you talk about (laughs) a full circle moment, a turnaround there. We went from negative experiences. We were in the back of the library. We're doing the work. We're pouring over the receipts. We're reading all the databases. So then how did we get from there to this point now where you were able to turn that comfort of sexuality into a career? Like
3: what was the process like for you there? Okay, let me ask you this because your blush is incredible. How did you get <laughs> so good? How did you get so good at it? Uh, tutorials and
4: practice. Trial and error.
3: <laughs> what you <laughs> think? Yeah. There's like no secret to it. Some people are like, I am so awkward. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'd be awkward at golf or <laughs> cartwheels the Dougie, anything that I'm not doing repetitively, that I'm not in practice of doing, and I'm not enlisting the help of people who know more than me. Um, So I'm I'm not watching tutorials. So I don't think that there's such a thing. I mean, there's obviously people I think who are, I believe myself to be somebody who was just naturally a a sexual person. But um, even if you are not that, if you aspire to be that, it's just about time plus exposure and patience and curiosity and anybody can get there. Um, I'm, like, really awkward at, at certain things that I should not be awkward at. Like, I could be a lot better at, like, dirty talk and stuff. But I also acknowledge that I probably could watch a bit more porn or <laughs> I could just <laughs> practice a bit more. We could practice today together. Uh, okay. So, nonetheless, oh, come on. whatever you, you want to get great at, if you just put the effort in, you can get to Courtney blush level. Come on. Okay. Ooh, okay.
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> that's <up. laughs> the madness. Yeah, wow. But I feel wow. like that's- <laughs> Yes. I feel like that's also like a testament to who you are as a person and being able to make those connections. Right. And whether they are like with us on the podcast or whether it's like intimacy, right. And making those connections between other people, like that is something that, you know, you recognized in yourself as like, oh, this is something that I'm, I'm good at and can be of service to other people with. 100%. I
3: think that, uh, Everyone's talents a little bit different. I think that my talent, if anything, is just that I'm like immune to awkward, mm. and I've always been like that. My dad is literally the craziest person you will ever meet before. So I grew up with a parent who likes to shock people and who likes to say like the boldest, craziest thing, and so I watched him navigate people's awkwardness. So I feel like that just became something that I became really good at. So I think I was a natural fit for the topic because I had the interest and also. I had the no fucks given if we're allowed to swear on this podcast necessary to really make a way in this uh space
0: exactly now when you does your dad ever feel awkward sharing what you do, or did your family ever feel awkward when they were explaining what you do?
3: My dad claimed that he didn't, but I know for sure, yeah, I think just naturally, just by the way of socialization, even if my dad really is like an out there person, I've done content with him before, and he's got you know pretty pro feminist theories and Um, I would say that he was more supportive, like the way that I told my parents that I was going to start doing this for a living is I waited until they went away on vacation to go see my aunt in Miami. And then I made a website where I detailed my first sexual experience. I mean, like really detailed, like the stroke game detailed, like, but everything, all of it, like the fear, the buildup, the touching, the kissing, the how I felt afterwards, the what I did. And, you know, when I went to the sexual health clinic and the way that I cried, all of that I detailed in this website, because again, to what the point you were saying is that I've always wanted to be the change I wish to suck to see in the world in that I didn't want to be another educator who separated myself from the people of like, I've done everything perfect. Here's what you need to know. It's like, no, I'm in this with you. I'm learning with you. So I started being like, here's the first time that I had sex and here's how this impacted me and put me on a specific trajectory. And here's exactly what happened. And again, I want sex to sell. So I wanted to be juicy. I want you to get engaged in the story. So I wrote this story out, made a website, wait till my parents went away. And then I sent them a link to the website because I knew that I was going to go hard. Like I was going to send it everywhere and make it on my Facebook profile. Like this is what I would chosen to really talk about. And so they were going to come across anyways. So I sent them the link and they didn't say anything. And when they came home, They were so mad. You know, when you think that like time is going Mm. to cool things (laughs) off, like it's almost like they hyped each other up. Like I think it was like three (laughs) days later, my mom was screaming and I'll never forget the line that she said. She was like, don't you know that boys are going to be laughing and masturbating and just at a computer laughing and masturbating at you? And I was like, my mom watches some weird porn. That This is what you think (laughs) happens. Um, And that was her thing of just like fear, fear, fear. And my Mm. dad was like, You're a good writer. I wish you chose a different subject. And Mm -hmm. so that's how he started off. Yeah. What? No, (laughs) tune in. Listen.
2: No, they need to hear. I think it's really dope that you made a career out of your own sexual experiences because these, as we said before earlier in the podcast, we don't really like to talk about these things out loud. So you've had so many great people on the show. The topics have been amazing. Jaw dropping. Shocking. Like you're married. You got the kids. You got the O'Sha's. shots. (laughs) Removing stigmas. You're <laughs> you're building the crescendo, okay? You know what I'm saying? Even the whole yes. recent submission with Watch Jazzy, like, did you think that the world will have such a viral reaction to your work?
3: Oh my gosh. I'd love to hear your guys' reaction to that. I actually have an episode coming out tonight that is with one of Nick Ken's baby mothers. Stop. And it's really Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I actually talk a lot about the Jazzy episode in it because the theme to me is sort of really similar in that why do we have a hard time? You know, we all rally around believing women, the concept of believing women, right? When women have gone through something traumatic and negative and they talk about it, we believe them. But when women are in situations and they're saying it's positive, they are an enjoyment of it. Like they're consenting of it. This is what they want for themselves. If we don't see it for ourselves, we don't believe them. So that was my experience with the jazzy thing of watching two camps, which neither one I thought was positive. Camp one was straight men, who were like, this is what women need to do. And that was really fucking annoying. But then camp two was a lot of straight women who were looking for ways to discredit her, to say like, she's not actually telling her own truth. And she thinks this is her truth, but it's not. So it was a fascinating, I think, sociological experiment for me to watch it unfold. No, I did not think it would go, I've never had anything, Cardi B discussed it. So I've never had anything in my life get that level of discussion. I wish that it wasn't so top level but I am am grateful for the conversations I saw come out of it. Um, even if some of them to me were kind of repetitive. Well, let me ask this question. This is the question that I asked on my podcast. I want to ask of you guys ask my audience, these two questions. Okay. So question number one is when your friends tell you that they are happy in a relationship, do you believe them?
2: I'm not there. Like, how do I know I'm not there all the time? Like, what? who am I to say, no, you're not happy? I feel like for me, if he's not dog walking you in the street, like beating you up, like I have no choice but to believe you because the things that I like in a relationship may not be what you like in a relationship. So who am I to tell you you're unhappy? You know,
4: I feel conflicted in that because I feel like a lot of the times, like a lot of the times in most of my friend circles, I'm mother hen and I usually am able to give the advice, even if I don't necessarily take it myself. And so they're looking for a bit more of like a like an objective POV. So sometimes I'm like the mirror of the group and I'm okay to go there. It's always in a soft way. I'm not going to just be like, lay all your shit type of things. I'm like the mama. I'm going to still keep my eye on because I didn't forget X, Y, and Z.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, it depends on the friend. Huh? It really, it, it really does. That's real. No, so it really sweet. does because some of my friends be lying, like oh <laughs> like they just be li- <laughs> like, no, seriously, and they have a problem. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm very like out there and like, I'm very opinionated, but I'll sit there and listen to someone and I'll, I'll like walk it through with them. I'm a Libra. So I'm very good at like seeing both sides of the conversation and being able to be like, okay, interesting. Now, what do you think your options are? You know, or I've had friends who have said that they were happy and then come back to me two weeks later and be like, okay, that's not the case. Or something happens and they're like, you know what? Like I wasn't telling you the whole truth. But if to Maya's point, like you're fine and you're comfortable and i feel like you know you're not holding back or you're not like trying to smile as you're saying that like yeah i'm happy i'm happy like i i do pick up on some social cues so it depends on the friend because if you can tell me like yeah i'm happy i'm happy at the same time when you're like when i ask you if you're hungry and you're like no i'm not hungry i know you're hungry bitch just eat like you know what i mean (laughs) like it depends on the friend so
3: yeah it's so fast because I always try to flip it in my mind and think even that example of hungry, like if you ask a man, are you hungry? And he says, no, no part of you is going to be like, you're actually hungry. You're like, <laughs> if he was hungry, he would advocate for his needs. So is there something that's happened that we need to you know help to uplift women to live more in their truth, to not feel like they're going to be judged for that? Or is there something within us that we're like, hey, we actually don't have to be white knights for women who are capable and who are telling us, you know, affirming what their truth is. And truth is allowed to switch, right? And mm-hmm. we can also acknowledge that. Like if a man said to me he's happy in a relationship, the next week said he's not happy, I'd be like, oh, last week was good. This week is bad. Not like I knew it the entire time. we were making <laughs> it up. So, okay. but it's oh, maybe it's both. So I think it's fascinating to me what's great about the work that we all do, right? And, you know, Courtney, you can attest this having worked in this space because it's so untalked about there are so many different layers to get through. So Mm -hmm. creating the content is literally 10% of the education for me. Um, It's really watching how people respond and interact with it and listening and hearing the conversations that come out from it that you're like, oh, those were the uh ahas come from. Mm. Very much
4: so. Very much so. And I think we're poking more holes. We're asking more questions. We're advocating for ourselves. We're speaking up. We're, you know, a bit more like open and honest about like, no, like I haven't necessarily really had an orgasm or no, I haven't squirted or when like, that's okay. But I would really love to, you know, like vanilla sex isn't working for me anymore. I really actually am into BDSM. Like, (laughs) are you Courtney? Oh yeah, I am. I am. I fully am. We talked about it earlier in the episode, like went through the whole Dom experience thing. Love it. I definitely (laughs) discovered about myself then that like, I can't go back. So I've realized that like my forever partner either needs to be someone who identifies as a pleasure dom or is open enough to like want to explore that with me. But I Mm. definitely for sure cannot say that I would go back.
3: Oh my gosh. That's so incredible.
0: (laughs) 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 I mean, are there things then, you know, as you're talking about this, like, you know, you, you know, spoke about some of the things that, you know, we have like taboos around still, like, you know, you just went through your second pregnancy and you talked about that shift, right. And losing lust and, you know, not having the same sex drive. And I feel like, especially as women, when we talk about like being sexual beings and mothers, there's sometimes a, like a, a real hard way to sort of switch between that, right. And be able a clash, right. To see us as both or one or the other. Um and so I just I'd love to hear a little bit about that transition for you and how you navigated that and maybe what advice you might give to other new mothers who might be in the same position.
3: Yeah, I had such a starkly different experience with pregnancy 1 and pregnancy 2. Um pregnancy 1, I was like I will not be defeated. I will not and it was <laughs> like lingerie and latex outfits and sex that made no sense just because <laughs> I was like I'm not going to be defeated. And I'm not going down. You know what I mean? I'm not letting this be my story. But pregnancy two, one, I was just a lot more sick. And two, you have a kid to care for as well. I was like, you win. I'm too tired. I don't care. It's not in me. And that's okay. And I'm giving myself the permission. So I really feel like the best advice is to like lean into your genuine truth because neither one was wrong. You know what I mean? Like that version of me who was like, nah, like I'm fighting back. Um, I'm really loved that version. I aspired to that version of myself. And like, there was a lot of really cool things that came out of that, but the version of me that surrendered and just gave space and grace, I think that's really, you know, something beautiful and aspirational about that too. But the real truth is like in motherhood, there's literally nothing that you've ever done more in your life. So I think leaning into your truth and then getting other people to buy into it too. And being honest, that's a big thing I think as well. Like When I was in that stage of like, no, I need to feel hot as hell. I had to get my my husband on board. I'm like, I get it. Cause he was kind of weirded out by the baby, but I was like, but I need to feel sexy. So Mm -hmm. whatever you do, I have to do to pep yourself up before. Once you get into that room, I'm, I'm Rihanna. I don't care. (laughs) Like that's the mentality I want you in. Yeah. And then now in this phase where I was just like, so unsexual, I was like, get a fuck buddy. I pray. Cause I don't even (laughs) want the stress of you looking at me like that. Like, I don't want to carry any more additional expectations. Like, I'm not interested. I'm not going to be interested. Figure it out yourself. So I think being able to be honest with people about where I was in either space and not personalizing it for them to make it very clear was something that I was going through was important. But yeah, across the board, I couldn't give like one piece of advice other than just lean in and then get your huddle together and be like, y'all lean into here's where we're at and here's here's the play.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I feel like, again, especially as black women, we get into this like judgment cycle and then this like shame cycle of being judged. Right. And it just like keeps going and going and going. And oftentimes a lot of people who are judging us are ourselves or sometimes, unfortunately, other black women. Right. Mm. And I think that that's Mm. that's also something when we talk about sex and sexuality and policing women's bodies that we we run up against is that we're sort of our own worst enemy sometimes, which is hard. Now, because again, you have the expertise, we want to see if you can help some of our listeners and some of our unbothered community members. We ask them, ask, you know, we're gonna have Shannon on the podcast. What could we possibly ask her? what do you want to know? And maybe you're either too nervous, you're too scared, feeling too awkward to ask out in real life or ask your friends. So we're gonna talk about it here. All right, so listen up. We have about five questions from our listeners. So one, we'll start with a fun one. What is the worst sex advice you've ever received?
3: Oh, what a great question. Never been asked that before. Mm. Oh, man. Like, this is the thing. Like, I would even say like, I was on a Horrible Decisions. Oh, and with they Weezy. Were like, yeah. yeah, well, I was at their live Love show. Weezy. And like, oh, yeah. literally, they call me on stage and they were like, give us a tip for giving blowjobs that's never been heard before. I mean, this is the craziest on the fly thing to like put on somebody, but I was like, bite it. And most people were like, this is the worst advice. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the thing is, uh, but I'm a big fan of like contrast. Right. So I think like biting the shaft with the back of your teeth, you know, like for pressure and then using your mouth to melt into like a suck or like a kiss. And then doing that, it's kind of playing with fear and then also playing with sensation. You're not like biting down, but you're just like, Hi. Nice. It's all so grave. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. Texture. right. Yeah. A little bit yeah, of texture. Yeah, yeah. texture play. And yeah. I learned that actually when I was on a show. I had a show called Sexology, and we were doing a panel of men talking about blowjobs. And one guy was like, I love it when it's being bit. And everybody was like, Oh, oh my God, that's terrible. And then I went home and tried it on my husband. He was like, that was fucking amazing. So um, that to be said is that like I don't know if there's like across the board really bad advice other than like that like have a move Never i think you have be right quick. <laughs> a bunch of different i think good sex is a lot like being a good cook like you need the foundational principles you have to understand how to turn the stove on and what the boiling point is and like what flavors like mix together you know you need a basic understanding of what's happening and where things are so it's like being able to create that perfect thing you can't have like a I have the recipe. You've got to go in with curiosity and I always say like a good sexual partner is a tourist, not a tour guide. So I think bad sex advice in general is just to be a tour guide. Like this is what your body likes. This is what's going to go on. Watch my routine that I'm going to perform on your clitoris and you're going to enjoy it. Like no, it's not Broadway. Like get into <laughs> the audience, ask some questions. Like let's we can work this out together. True that. Okay. So
2: next up, my partner is not sufficiently endowed. Things are fine. Obviously, they're not. If you're writing in, girl, it's fine. You don't gotta lie. But he is not large at all. I often wonder if things will, uh, this will last long term, and if I might desire a larger partner. Is more always better?
3: I don't think more is always better, but we can't deny that for some, more is better. I really do liken. I used to liken dick size to boob size because it's like, it could be about a preference, but the real truth is, is that anatomically some vaginas, it's not just a matter of aesthetic. They really do benefit from more girth, more length or both. Um, So I don't think that's my truth. I'm not sure, but I would think that if you're, if you have the comparison, but also there's sex toys, I honestly think that like it is really about what somebody can do with what they have. One of my favorite books is called She Comes First by Dr. Ian Kerner. And it was a man who basically felt sexually inadequate, who learned every other part of the body. And I have an episode on my podcast, too, um, that was talking about men's lack of desire to sexually educate themselves. And the guest that I had was somebody who was self-proclaimed smaller in the penis department, And just like a shorter guy. And he was like, because I knew that about myself, I researched. you know, I was at a young age on tips for how to go down on a girl. Like I took a gender studies class. I took a health and sexuality class in college. Like I wanted to learn to be better because I knew about possible, you know, shortcomings for pun intended that I might have. So I feel like if you have a partner who's putting in the work elsewhere and they're, uh, you know, comfortable with sex toys and they can acknowledge that they don't have that and they're willing to supplement, I don't think you're going to miss a beat, um, but I don't think is the best I can do because genuinely, yeah, there are people who it's like a big penis makes a massive difference in their experience. And whether that be aesthetic or it be anatomical, it doesn't matter because sex also is very much mental.
4: Yeah.
0: Great answer. Wow. <laughs> right,
4: I was yeah. like, Okay, next question. I am single and want a heterosexual relationship. Heterosexual is in quotes. But need some guidance on exploring my sexuality to create a safe and healthy environment. And how many partners is
3: too many? How did you guys interpret that question? Let me ask that.
0: I interpreted this as someone who maybe has not been in a lot of sexual relationships and wants to explore their sexuality and is nervous about... Seeming either too sexual or not sexual enough.
3: Okay, what a great interpretation. Yeah, it sounds very, um, that sounds spot on. I think you're right to be concerned because we do live in a world that places a lot of emphasis on women's sexuality in either direction, which is the most messed up part because if you don't have enough experience, then like you're a prude and you're boring. And if you have too much, then you're a slut and you are for the streets. Mm -hmm. So it is difficult to be like, what is the sweet spot? Um, And that's the question that you have to answer with partner selection. The sweet spot is a partner who is mature, um, who has done the work, who has done the work in dismantling some of the unhealthy messaging that they get, especially if you're looking for a heterosexual relationship, looking for a relationship from a man, the gendered messaging that they get about women's sexuality. It's somebody who is curious um, and somebody who is more about experience than appearance. So they're trying to have a positive, impactful, progressive relationship rather than trying to present a trophy figure to the world or to themselves to like justify why they're in it. So I, you know, I always get ask I can put this in my world and say people ask me all the time, like, how do you find, how did you find somebody who was okay with what you did for a living? And like, aren't people intimidated by the work that you do? Or mm-hmm. didn't people feel like they couldn't, you know, have sex to you because you have all this experience and knowledge? Didn't that intimidate men? I was like, I'm sure it did, but I would never fuck those people. So what does that matter to me?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I, if you can read it right away, right? Like if I meet somebody and initially the first couple comments that come up or the way that they even respond to what I do for a living, like it's a turnoff to me. So Yeah, it's a reality that there are going to be people who are going to judge you, but those are not people that you should be interested in fucking anyway,
2: in my
0: opinion.
4: (sighs) Wow. Doors of the church are open.
0: (laughs) You know? Okay. Yeah. Next question here. I'm single and want to explore queer relationships, right? So on the flip side of this, okay? I've been accused of queer baiting, quote, quotes, or just quotes, playing around, but I genuinely want to explore it without feeling guilty for presenting heteronormative in my day-to-day life thus far, at least currently. How do I do so in a respectful way that's also fun for me?
3: Oh, I think you're already doing it if you're going about it in the exact way that you just said, but you also have to have empathy for people who are like you're queer baiting, or people who are not okay with that approach, especially, you know, if you live in a smaller town where the LGBTQ plus community is smaller. And like, there can be frustration that happens where people are looking for you, like you're a theme park, like an experience to be had versus someone to like invest time into or invest their heart into. So yes, like there's a, it's okay for queer people to not be comfortable with the fact that you want to explore yourself through them. And sometimes at the expense of their emotional investment, um, But there are also a lot of people who are like, let's do it. Um, So I think that both exist. And so if you approach the experience with that kind of honesty of like, I'm going to be really honest, I probably skew more on this heterosexual side, but I'm definitely interested in learning what this looks like for me or feels like for me. Um, I don't know beyond like singular experiences, you know, or nights of fun, what this is going to mean. But like, I find you sexy as fuck. I find you really hot and, if you're comfortable with me saying, here's what I want to do to you. Or here's what, you know, I would love for you to want to do with me. Not that you have to do that. I'm like, you know, you don't walk up to someone to say that. That's creepy. But <laughs> that to be said, I think when you get to that place with somebody where you feel that there's a vibe and there's a mutuality and like you're doing the intention check, I always say in general, like great sex, bare minimum has like three components, which is the health, the consent and the intent. Are we, you know, good mutual partners when it comes to the prioritization of our sexual health? Great. Consent obviously is before this. Consent: Do we both want to do this? Amazing intent. Why are we doing this? If you're doing this because you're in love with me and you're hoping it will deepen our bond, and I'm doing it because I've I've had a hard time falling asleep the past three nights and I'm hoping that an orgasm will knock me out. Well, we're not aligned. Like we have completely different reasons why we're here, and it's not going to be a good experience. To me, good sex isn't just about the moment. Good sex lasts three weeks after because that's the time that usually you'd be like, "Do I need a STD check?" Right, like. When you feel like you've made the right choices and now going forward, you can still look back and like, man, that was an amazing night or that was an amazing time. That's good sex.
0: Yeah. Ooh, I wish I had heard that like five years ago because I actually really identified with this question. And I feel like that is such good advice, (laughs) genuinely, because it can be hard to navigate that situation when you want to explore your sexuality with different people, different genders, you know, different experiences. And society keeps telling you it's not, it's not, it's not. But it took a, a few fair years for me to be like, oh, like, I don't necessarily identify as like heterosexual and that's okay. It took, a, it took some time though, like to also understand that it wasn't just like sexual too, that I was like, oh no, I'm actually interested in exploring romantic relationships with different people and different genders. So it's just, again, a process, at least it was for me. So that's why I say this person, please give yourself some grace too.
2: Last question. I have not had many sexual encounters and unsure how I would rate my sexual performance. How can I show up in the bedroom without looking like I observed porn moves or looking stale or boring? Oh,
3: uh, yeah. I feel like you know when you're hiring, you're in a hiring position. Like you have two resumes. You're the person with a lot of like work experience. The person with a lot of like educational experience. Like they're valued just in different ways. And so I would look at it like you don't if you're not. You don't have a lot of lived work experience, get a lot of like educational experience and read and listen. I mean, listen to this podcast. You're already doing the right things. Like you're not just watching porn. Like you are investing your intellectual energy in hearing diverse perspectives from people who have lived it or who have researched it. And in your own free time, I hope you're also doing your own independent research. And so I feel like to be honest with you, the best, the most impactful things that I've learned about sex are like the things that have made me like really great in the bedroom of late. Like they're not things that I stumbled upon through experience. They're things that like I read about and I was like, oh, let me try this and try to make it my own. So I think you could be an incredible sexual partner. I think in general, let me just say this. I think insecurity is one of the greatest strengths in sex because mm. sex is all about, we're all like conditioned to believe we, we have to pretend we're amazing especially men right or in many cases women um but you have to pretend that like I got the bomb is pussy like this dick's incredible I'm amazing I don't have to read anything I just naturally know like I always think back to like when I was 16 um my boyfriend at the time had this slogan he always said like I'm young but I can fuck and I had faked every single orgasm I, I, smile no <laughs> that I have No, you but, you know, that was a part of it. And it was like, why would you even think you can? Like, that's a crazy statement, you know? Like, <laughs> it was, I was his first sexual partner. He did nothing. He didn't go down on women. He had all these rules for what, you know, he wasn't, wasn't supposed to do. So it was just like, yeah, I think acknowledging that like, I probably am not the best is such a strength. So I'm really turned on by people who are like, listen, I might not have it all figured out. And I'm like, that tells me that you are at least- trying to figure it out and that's sexy yeah. in a world where we're supposed to pretend that we're all porn stars and what are these book recommendations yeah <laughs> yeah okay come on there's a book by dr jess o'reilly that's called like hot tips and tricks i love that book okay. i love she comes first i love come as you are that's dr emily nagowski they're like there's some <laughs> interesting thought starters in there and a lot of like stuff on like dirty talk that i've like, learned from those books i'm like oh like that's the difference and he talks There's, like, a whole chapter on, like, debunking the myth of bomb pussy. Like, nobody is born with a better vagina. I mean, maybe statistically there are, but, like, it's not about that. It's about, like, the energy, the curiosity, like, the mindfulness you bring to the bedroom.
0: Yeah, because... Some, again, like as someone who like has experience with that, like sometimes you got to recheck yourself, like you said, Shan. Like things change, <laughs> things change, even from like week to week or relationship to relationship. And so, I think that's really important. Thank you so much, Shan. This was absolutely lovely. You are fantastic, not only as a guest but as an interviewer yourself. It's very clear that you are a podcaster yourself, and you're able to make us feel comfortable, open up the space for us to have. These really open, vulnerable conversations about sex, sexuality, and feeling like we can prioritize our pleasure, which is our phrase of the day. So, thank you, Shan. We really appreciate you stopping by and listen to Lovers and Friends podcast. Now, when does that Nick Cannon, uh, Baby Mama? Today. Oh, right. Hey, guys, oh, that's right. Okay, yes. Yeah. Like, is it out now? Because that's what I'm about to do. <laughs> <laughs> The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Crystal Devone, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang, Maya Carmichael, and Courtney Poe. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at r29unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't
3: forget, it's okay to go off, sis.